0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to She Said, She Said, as we kick off our fourth year together in what we hope will be a fun and fantastic 2021. I'm co-host, Lena Stagg, the culinary chef and author of the Recipe Records series, a collection of rockin' cookbooks that offers recipes and menus based on your favorite songs, as well as snippets of rock history, trivia, and true stories from the Rolling Stones, those righteous 70s groups that one of our distinguished guests today will tell you about, 80s rock icons such as the Cars. And that's a hint as to whom another one of our guests today just might be. And, of course, the Beatles. You can check out all of my books and sign up for my free newsletter at elanastagg.com, and my newsletter will go out this week, I promise. (laughs) And if you're ever in Evansville, Indiana, please drop by and say hello to me at the Pitt Barbell Club. My husband and I purchased this historic and awesome gym in 2020 during a pandemic, and we'd love to show you around and give you a complimentary day pass to work out safely and effectively with us. And speaking of working out, here is someone who never stops working. My co host, Jude Sutherland Kessler.
1: Hey guys, happy New Year. Happy twenty twenty one. Woohoo! We are so glad to have you guys with us for yet another exciting Beatles inspired year here on she said she said I am the author of the John Lennon series. It's a it's a collection of highly researched historical narratives, not historical fiction, but historical narratives on the life of John Lennon. Now the first four books, which are available for you to enjoy, uh, book. Four is in physical form still. I have a few copies of that left, but books one, two, and three are on Kindle. Some of them are on all ebook formats. They detail John's life from his birth in 1940 right up to the end of the year in 1964. And right now, I am about about halfway through, maybe a little bit more than halfway through, on the research and the writing of book five, which is going to take you on that whirlwind journey through the busy and the thrilling year that was 1965, which of course is help and Spaniard in the works and the North American tour in which the Beatles played Shea Stadium and met Elvis, all of that good stuff. So check out the first four books in the series at my website, easy to remember, johnlennonseries.com, johnlennonseries.com. And while you're there, sign up for my monthly newsletter, and like Lena, I promise, (laughs) it's going out this week. Um, In December, I was very fortunate to be able to uh, be on several radio shows talking about John Lennon 40 years later, after his passing. I was um, so thrilled to be on Radio Israel as they remembered John, and Euronews, and several shows like J.V. Johnson's show across the United States, so links to all of those things for you uh, John Lennon people will be available, so do not miss out on all of the fab, fun, and information. You have
0: been such a busy, busy, busy bee, Jude. Well, I think we all feel
1: very lucky to be here
0: in 2021 for whatever fun lies in store in hopes of a much brighter and better year than the last.
1: Yes, we do. I uh, and There's one word. I may even have it tattooed on my arm. Vaccine. That's what I am looking forward to.
2: <laughs> vaccine.
1: We really, look, we faced our share of challenges over the last 12 months, and and not just COVID, but here in North Louisiana, five hours inland from the coast, we had a Category 1 hurricane. And, of course, the economy, and especially you, Lena, starting a new business in this rocky world, I mean, there were some real challenges in 2020. But here's the thing. To be fair, there were some really bright moments as well, and that's what Lena and I would like to share with you guys today. You're right,
0: Jude, and we ask six of the people whom we think made 2020 special to join us tonight, people who did remarkable things, people who succeeded despite the hurdles they had to face while making films, writing and publishing new books, putting out new CDs taking on new and exciting radio shows, and, well, forging ahead. So our first guest is not only a dear friend, but a clear example of a never-say-die attitude in the face of adversity. He is the co-host of the Talk More Talk podcast, as well as the co-host of the popular Everything Fab Four podcast.
1: And not only that, he is the very respected author of many, and I say many, and we we didn't even include all of them in this list I'm about to give you, but he is the author of many excellent award-winning books on the Beatles and on those integral people around the Fab Four. One of my personal favorite books is his Long and Winding Roads, The Evolving Artistry of the Beatles. And it was written several years ago, but I still consider it one of the most insightful books ever penned on the music of John, Paul, George, and Ringo. I I said that when I read his book, The Beatles' music became for me a pop-up book. He really discusses the dimensions that are in the songs. And then he did a two-volume work on the life of Sir George Martin, which won all kinds of awards across the globe. For Beatles people, I would say that volume one, which is maximum volume, might be the more interesting of the two because it really centers on Martin's many years producing the magnificent work of the Beatles, but in volume two, he's still interacting and working with the Beatles as well and a lot of other people in his continuing career, and volume two is sound pictures. It is also a fascinating work. And There's one other great insight into each and every Beatles song, and that is his two-volume Beatles encyclopedia. Years ago, Bill Harry did a Beatles encyclopedia, and Bill truly focused on the people and the places in the Beatles world. And our guest today really focused more on the music. So you put the two together, and you've got everything you want to know about the Beatles. But this year... He released what I personally consider to be one of his greatest works, and that is John Lennon, 1980. It is a careful, thoughtful, well-researched, and beautifully written book on the life of John Lennon in his later years. And I was very, you know, anytime that I read something about John Lennon, I'm always hesitant because I'm always thinking, okay, is this really going to tell the truth and get into the weeds and really give all the details? And this book was phenomenal. So, Lena and I are thrilled to welcome to our podcast our colleague and dear friend, I'm going to bring him on the line, Dr. Ken Wamak. Hey, Ken. Welcome to She Said, She Said.
3: Hey, guys. Happy New Year.
1: Happy, New, Happy year. New Year. We are singing right. your praises, you're ma'am.
3: A hope yeah. a you're, you're way too kind, but I sure appreciate it. Anything from you guys is truly meaningful.
1: Well, we I was just saying that even years later, we are so impressed with Long and Winding Roads. I use it constantly, as well as maximum volume. And I didn't even talk about solid state. you You have done some magnificent work, and we thank you for that.
3: Thanks for being such great inspirations and, more importantly, such good friends.
1: Well, thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: We really miss uh, the fests and all of the opportunities to get together, so uh, at least we get to kind of hang out a little bit on a podcast.
1: Well, Ken, as you know, I was really fortunate, really fortunate, to be able to pre-read your book, John Lennon, 1980, to write the review for unculturesonar.com and that review guys listening out there is still available for you to read and I have to say I approached the book with a bit of trepidation but I was blown away by your work and I, I guess the part I dreaded was reading the end of the book and we'll talk about that in a few minutes but look it is a beautiful considerate work and the title really focuses on what you cover more toward the end of the book. You start in 1980. You do a lot of flashbacks that explain 1980. But, you know, your book is so much more than 1980. Give us a a good idea of what your scope of study was in the book.
3: You bet. So um, I was interested in having a book in the world, um, and, and this is how I approach every project, is is this book necessary? Will it help communicate something? Will it, at, at the very least, aggregate some important facts and, and tell a compelling story? And I wanted a John Lennon book in the world that wasn't a true crime book, that wasn't about the terrible thing that we know happened um, late on December 8th, 1980, and all the terrible repercussions from that day. I wanted the book that wasn't that, and When you look at many of the books that that do study this period in John's life, whether it's uh, a single day or various uh, parts of those latter years or solo years, um, they tend in their own way not to focus enough to my mind on the art. So I wanted a book that let us um, understand and follow the pathway that got him uh, from going back into the world of music and succeeding so magnificently right up into those last moments. Uh, so that's how I approached it, and I, you know, originally intended only to talk about 1980. But those songs, as, as you know better than most, uh, Jude, really come from uh, an earlier place. They come from, um, you know, the the early part of his reunion with Yoko. Sometimes even earlier, uh, some of those melodies had been around. So I wanted to make sure that the full process uh, and progress of those stories got to be told too. So that's why. I- I ended up going a lot further back than I planned.
1: Yeah, you, you thoroughly cover the 1970s. And we I know we don't have time to go into this, but for the people that really need to buy this book, just the story of how watching the wheels came to be. And this goes throughout the book. I mean, it, it reappears every 15 or 20 pages or so. Just the progress of that alone is worth the price of the book. I thought I knew a lot about John Lennon, and I learned so much from your book it It was really great, but I, and I know you know what I'm going to say now, but one of the most exciting parts of the book was this incident that occurred in the last year of john's life, and it was that adventure aboard the megan j and You and I think that everybody in the world knows this story and, you know, surely they know what we're talking about, but look, a lot of people have no idea what happened. So without giving anything away, tell us a little bit about that dramatic event.
3: You bet. And it really is that event, the culmination of uh, John's dream that was a relatively recent dream as far as we know of learning how to sail of learning how to, and I think this is the most important part, of learning how to do something for himself. This is a guy who could afford all the servants in the world, all the assistants, and um, after a, a chance trip on a charter boat called the Imagine, as you know, in February 1980, um, John knew that he wanted to learn how to sail and to be able to uh, be empowered by that experience. Now, of course, none of that predicted what would happen on that trip uh, from Rhode Island to Bermuda in June 1980, when, of course, uh, John and a very well-experienced crew, I might add, including Captain Hank Halstead, uh, who was a veteran seaman, um, not to mention Tyler Conis, uh, a Long Island um, teacher, quite frankly, of the art of, of, uh, of seamanship. These, these, these were pros and, uh, and some of Tyler's relatives. So when they took this craft, they had a lot of pros on board. What's interesting is when they all go down with seasickness during a storm and all but Captain Hank, that is, and John. And they're left alone to pilot through the maelstrom. And at one point, John's by himself up there on deck singing sea shanties, as he liked to point out, and really just connecting with himself and nature, possibly for the first time ever. Uh, And and what amazes me about that moment is the way John would talk about it in, in that blitz of interviews in the fall of 1980 as this moment where he really, for the first time, felt alive, which is amazing because he's John Lennon. You would think that he's already had those kinds of experiences, but no, it's right there in the nick of time in his last summer.
1: And I think if you said to him, John, what was more exciting in your life, Shea Stadium or the Megan J, he would have without blinking an eye, said the Megan J. It I mean, this it it was totally Yeah, don't you agree?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It was John by himself, you know. He's not up there with anyone. He's it's just John. So um I absolutely loved it, but of course, another segment of your book that I was sort of not looking forward to were the events of 8 December, or in Liverpool, 9 December 1980, and if I don't tear up, I have to tell you that I thought the way you handled it had a real tenderness to it, because you you didn't focus on the sorrow or the tragedy of that day, but you really focused on the joy that John had gathered around him during the last year of his life. So give us a little bit of your vision about John's life in 1980.
3: This is um, something that I'm proud of, the way when I approach a story, I always keep my head in the moment uh, that I'm writing about in that instance. So, you know, until it happens, I'm not – until that guy shows up, and I don't name him, of course, because John Lennon doesn't know his name – on the streetscape there on the afternoon of December 8th, that's not in the story. And I made a little rule for myself when I started out that, uh, and I do this for the most part with, with all of these works, I like to keep myself in that place. I don't know what's going to be coming over the horizon, right? And if I'm sitting there on John's shoulder, I can't see those things. If he can't see them, they're not part of the story yet. And so I wanted it to really reflect, instead of what we all know is coming, what he's feeling and you've read the interviews uh, even right down to that wonderful uh, last bit with Dave Sholin and Lori Kay. I was speaking to Lori just today. Um, You know, he is elated. He is engaged. He's driven. And even later that night, uh, outside of any reporter's earshot, he's there in the studio. They have finished a new mix of walking on thin ice and John looks at Yoko could even be in the hour before, the the most terrible thing happens. He says, This is the direction. You know, so he's pushing forward. He's impelled by creativity and artistry. It's just amazing.
1: It was amazing. And I I started it. I had a big chunk of the book still left to read and I was going to break it into two parts and I could not put it down. I, I read straight through till about eight thirty in the morning without being able to put it down. So Please, please, please tell our listeners where, where they can get a copy of John Lennon 1980 and also, Ken, where they can follow you on social media.
3: Well, I'm on all the grams and the books and the tweets and <laughs> the this and that. So, uh, you can find me over that Internet in a good way. Um, and, of course, I have a website, kennethwomack.com, and, uh, of course, books are available in these online COVIDian days on, on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and all of those good places.
1: Well, and I thank you so much for kicking off the Best of 2020 show, and from my heart, I I thank you for work that truly shines light on those good moments in John's final days, and there were some good moments. When I think of John Lennon 1980, I will always remember that in his last year, John as you showed us, clearly was no less talented than he was in 1964, and he still had a ton to offer the world, but as a wise entertainer always does, he left us wanting more. So that's, that's what I took away from your book, Ken, and I have to tell everyone listening, John Lennon, 1980, is not fiction. It is not imagined. It is not embellished. It is not to be missed. So get out there and get a copy of that book, Beatles fans. And Ken, thank you so much.
3: Oh, thank you guys. And I can't wait to see you guys again when we're all safe and sound and and can commune at the fest or anywhere else.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Great to, great to hear your voice, Ken. Thank you.
3: All right. Thank you. And again, Happy New Year. Let's Happy hope it's a good one.
0: Woo!
3: Absolutely.
0: Jude has said so much over the past few months about Ken's great book. I can't wait to read it in 2021, among other things. And we hope that all of you out there will get a copy as well. Now, our next guest has not yet completed the work he was doing throughout 2020, but we have our fingers crossed that in 2021, he will dazzle us with a brand new film about the Beatles, 1964 World Tour, and that drummer who sat in with them for 13 days on that tour, Mr. Jimmy Nickel, our guest literally wrote the book on that topic entitled The Beetle Who Vanished, and now his best-selling bestseller is coming, as they say, to the big screen. So we are chuffed, as they say, in Liverpool, and thrilled to welcome to our show the rock-and-roll detective, our Dear friend, Mr. Jim Birkenstadt. Hey, Jim, welcome to She
4: Said, She Said. Hey, thanks, Lena and Jude. It's great to be here. I love oh. being on your show.
1: We love having you here, and we have to say we love you more than Chaz Newby. Uh,
4: yay, <laughs> finally! <laughs>
0: it's, a 20, it's a 2021 miracle.
4: <laughs> it is a miracle. On. Well, I will cherish <laughs> that forever.
0: <laughs> okay Jim, we're on needles and pens to quote Jackie DeShannon. Tell us all about the film and how did it come about and what what is the focus?
4: Okay so the book came out and it did really well and a lot of people saw a lot of things on you know Facebook and other social media and then all of a sudden one day, Out of the blue, I get this mystery call from a lawyer in, I think, in Los Angeles. And she said, um, I have two uh, important, you know, VIPs who want to option the film rights to your book. And I'm like, oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. And then I said, well, so who are they? And she said, well, I don't think I can reveal that. And I said, well, then I don't think I can give you the option rights to the (laughs) book. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it's important when you're, you know, and this goes for everyone, when you're optioning rights, you know, of your book to a film, you kind of would like to know who you're going to be working with. And so, anyway, she finally gave it up, and and it was um, Ashley Hamilton, George Hamilton's son, and Alex Orbison, the son, of course, of Roy Orbison, who had toured with the Beatles and uh, she explained that uh, Alex had always thought that was really cool that the Orbisons had toured, you know, with the Beatles and that their families were close. And, and he, he's yeah. a drummer. So when he read the book that he heard about on a Facebook post uh, that someone shared with him, he was like, oh, this is a really interesting story. So uh, anyway, after signing a deal with with them, I was then contacted separately by a UK film studio called ECOS that has done some really great historical films that relate to the United Kingdom. That's kind of their mm. their ballpark. And they loved the book and wanted to make a film about Jimmy Nickel and the first Beatles world tour and, and also really to explore that double-edged sword of extraordinary but temporary fame, and how it affects an everyday person, uh, in this mm-hmm. case, Jimmy Nickel. Mm-hmm. So I put them together with, um, you know, with the other two, and, the, and we, we created this three-way deal. And so now I'm, I'll be serving, or I'm already serving, as executive producer on the film. And I'm also the script consultant working directly with the screenwriter, whose name is Paul Verra, and he wrote an interesting uh film about punk rock called Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll <laughs> which is a biography of a uh rocker named Ian Dury who had a group called Ian Dury and the Blockheads and their big hit was called Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll so he's mm-hmm. he's uh, really into rock and roll biographies so he's I think a perfect hmm. guy for this
0: That's awesome So will your film have Beatles music and live footage of the FABs?
4: So that's a really great question. Um, Since we're just in what's called the development stage, it's really premature to say exactly what actual sound footage and photos could appear in the film. Uh, Because, of course, the first thing really is we have to all wait for the script to be written and approved to even know what scenes, you know, are in the film. But, you know, assuming, I think we can all safely assume that there will be a significant part of the film devoted to Jimmy playing with the Beatles on their first (laughs) world tour. um, The actual live music of Jimmy playing with the Beatles is just audience bootleg material. It's not (laughs) multi-track soundboard quality at all. And though uh bootlegs exist from that time with Jimmy on drums, they're not really of usable quality and they wouldn't even be good to, you know, to play on a okay. radio show. So since Jimmy played live with the Beatles and didn't, you know, he didn't play in the studio, I'm sure it would make sense possibly to use Beatles studio recordings, but I'm not sure that's a good idea either because then people will say, oh, you put a bunch of screaming on uh, over the top of Mm -hmm. Beatle recordings and Jimmy didn't play on it. You know, we all know that Beatle fans are experts, all of them. So, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of questions about how to best do that um, to not only please the hardcore Beatle fans, but also the the everyday music fans who will find this movie of interest. So I'd say on that, time will tell. I do think there could be some visuals of things like the Beatles and Jimmy getting on and off airplanes, going on stage, um, and and especially that famous shot of Jimmy Nichols sitting in the Melbourne airport. Uh, airport. Yeah, after his time with the Beatles is over, and he looks kind of shell-shocked. Um, but I mm-hmm. would just say, you know, it's really too early to, to give you that kind of a, you know, any kind of definitive sure. answer It's just, until we even know what what the script is and what scenes will be shown.
0: Sure, there's there's a lot to that process. It'll be exciting sure to is. find out who uh, plays Jimmy Nickel.
4: Anyway, yeah. <laughs> not only um, that, but um, you know he ages through the story in the book. So mm-hmm. does he again, look like a lawyer
0: from Madison, Wisconsin?
4: <laughs> no, <laughs> but, but I think that. You know maybe there might be two Jimmy Nichols and you know a young Jimmy Nickel and an older Jimmy Nickel it's hard, it's again it's premature until we know what kind of shape the, the script will take
0: sure so do you have any idea if the script will ultimately uh, indicate what happens to Jimmy Nickel
4: well, do you think inquiring minds want to know that?
0: <laughs> Big time. I was, I was going to say that. You took the word for that out of my mouth. <laughs> we want <Absolutely>. to know.
4: <laughs> yeah, I know you guys want to know. Well, I think fans want to know. I, I would just say, I would answer it this way, again, because we're really somewhat early in this pre-production process. Every film that's based on a true story contains, you know, a, a bit of Hollywood license, as they say. And that is where a fiction, fictional event or fictional characters are used to make uh, the movie more compelling or more dramatic. And I'd say that, you know, probably 99% of the characters in the movie will be actual people who Jimmy Nickel interacted with. But there might be one or two characters, you know, hypothetically speaking, uh for example maybe someone during his pre-beatles time say could be an older musician who sort of mentors mm-hmm. jimmy or gives him advice but mm-hmm. i can tell you that i uh, based on what i know so far um based on the film treatment which comes before the script that i think the film will end on an upbeat conclusion i think it mm-hmm. will be a hopeful ending and will incorporate a real event that I learned about after the book was published that leads to this upbeat ending. So I would say stay tuned, no spoilers.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. That sounds terrific. Well, I'm sure that the Beatle fans will be able to keep up with the progress of the movie on your social media sites and your website. So if you don't mind, please us in on all
4: of those links. Sure. So two of my websites one is rock and We'll have news and tell people it also shows people what I've done in the past. And uh, the book site is called the where you can find you'll find updated news more info on Jimmy Nickel, a free book excerpt. Uh, you can order signed books by me. And and also, more importantly, probably the, the best way to keep up is with the newsletter that I send out via email every now and then. Uh, so you can, you know, you won't be, you definitely won't say, gosh, this guy's sending me a lot of junk because it'll only be every now and then. So you can sign up for that newsletter. Uh, also, on uh, Facebook, I have a page that's uh, facebook.com slash rock and Role Detective. So people can follow me there. And in terms of when the film might be coming out, that's a question a lot of people ask. We, we need COVID to end, and then production mm-hmm. could possibly start, I would think, in the fall of 2021. Which would mean probably a release, uh, hopefully in late 2022. But hey. this thing is, this COVID is so unpredictable and it's having an impact on TV and film. We'll just have to wait. We, we all need the vaccine, I guess.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: Absolutely. But, but we have a good, you know, excellent, talented team in place and it will come out and I'm hoping that we can all uh, view a special showing of it at, at a future Fest for Beetle fans in person.
0: Yay! Ooh. <laughs> that sounds like a million dollars right there. Doesn't
4: it? Yeah.
0: Yes. Well, we are going to be there, of course. We'll be front and center. So. Okay. Uh, but we're so That's delighted not- about, about the work. You know, you get your work premiered in... A movie, and we applaud you for this wonderful accomplishment, Jim. Oh, um, yeah. So keep us posted on the the film's release, and we will tell all of our listeners too, because everybody's going to want to see this.
2: Amen. So thanks,
0: Jim. We yeah. we wish you the best.
4: Thank well, you, Beagle Buddy. Thank you so much for having me on, and uh, I'll happily come back and share news uh, when I have some and. Also, lastly, I'll, I have a new book coming out later this year that I'll tell you about sometime in the future. It contains Ooh. mysteries involving the Beatles and the traveling Willberries. So stay All right. tuned.
1: Awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We appreciate thank it, Jim. You.
4: Take care. So I, It's so great to talk to you both.
1: You too, you too. And it's so refreshing Take to care. hear um, throughout the past year that good things were going on. And look, Behind the scenes of COVID-19, progress was being made, and that is 100% the case with our next guest on the line, who with his super group, The Empty Hearts, pushed ahead in this pandemic and shut down, which I know must have been extremely hard to do, to produce a new CD. That are an album, actually. So we'll have to get a, him to tell us whether that's a CD album or both or whatever. But it offers us the inspiration that music provides. And we are talking, of course, about none other than the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame lead guitarist for the Cars, Mr. Elliot Easton. Elliot, we are so glad to have you back on. She said, She said, Happy New Year, sir. Happy New Year,
5: ladies. So nice to talk to you again. Well, it's great
0: to hear your voice. Thanks so much for making the time to come on our show again, Elliot.
5: My pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for inviting
1: me. Well, we've got to cheer you because you did it despite all the setbacks of 2020, the shutdown, the pandemic. Look, you guys were superheroes to, in the Empty Hearts, you just persevered and you brought us this brand new album. It's the, the Empty Hearts second album. So for those people who must be living on the moon and don't know about the Empty Hearts, tell us about the members of the group and, and all about this new collection of songs that you put together.
5: Okay. Well, um, besides myself on, on lead guitar and backing vocals, we have uh, Clem Burke on drums from Blondie, and Wally Palmer from the Romantics on uh, singing lead vocals and playing uh, rhythm guitar and harmonica, kind of the kind of the John Lennon role, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and Andy Babuch from the uh, Chesterfield Kings playing bass and and doing background vocals as well. And this is our second record. We're really proud of it. I mean, it, you know, the, the whole confluence, I guess, of of circumstances of the coronavirus and everything has prevented us from being able to tour on this new record, which is really a shame. And we will get to it, you know, when when the world reopens. But uh, we're really proud of the record. Um, For Beatle fans in particular, one point of interest is we have Ringo playing on one song, a tune that came out as a single called Remember Days Like These. Yep. And so so we have, you know, a Beatle playing on one track uh, it's become a tradition. Our first record, we had Ian McCloghgan from The Small Faces playing uh, keyboards. Uh, rest may he rest in peace. And uh, but this time, uh, this time we got Richie to play, and uh, and it was fantastic. And, and, and the record, you know, in term, you know, relating it to sort of you guys and a beatle themed show, you know, it was a second record, and it was, you know, when you're making your first record, even though you may have be friends for a long time. Becoming a group and getting that chemistry going is something else again, and it requires hanging out together and traveling and having meals together and writing songs together and hanging out in hotels and gigs and playing a lot of shows, and then you really start to become a band and you get the chemistry going, and... I think with this second record, there, there, there's, you know, shows the growth of us sort of knowing more about each other's uh, abilities, you know, and, and being able to expand on what we did on the first record and get a little bit more adventurous. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, if, in a Beatle-themed way, and I'm not comparing the music in any way, but one thing I always loved about the Beatles was how, like, if you take, I don't know, whether it's the White Album or Sgt. Pepper or Revolver, you could have you know, say, a beautiful ballad like Here, There, and Everywhere, and then, like, a crazy psychedelic montage like Tomorrow Never Knows, or Mm -hmm. on the White Album, like, a beautiful finger-picked acoustic ballad like Julia or Blackbird, and then a crazy, almost heavy metal song like Helter Skelter, and then a country-western song with, with Ringo. Yet it all sounded unmistakably like the Beatles, even though... They were working in all these really, or, or like a thirties vaudevillian song, you know, like Honey Pie or When I'm mm-hmm. Sixty-Four, but it all totally sounded just like, you know, you couldn't mistake what band it was, even though they were working in these like really disparate uh, idioms. Right. A- and I wanted to go after that with the band. I wanted to try to expand our palate a bit and, and, and stretch out a little bit. And I think we accomplished that. Now, I'm not comparing I'm trying to level with the Beatles or anything like that. But in terms of, like, what the goal of the record was, it was to sort of make, like, one of those records that like, that came out when we were kids where you would – it was like an event when a new Beatle album or a new Stones record came out or just an important album. And you – you'd go over to your friend's house, whoever your cool friend was that had posters on the wall in the bedroom and, you know, <laughs> turn the lights down, maybe lights some incense or something, mm-hmm. and you wouldn't even talk. You would just listen to the whole record, both sides, and just look and stare at the cover and read it all, and, you know, try to glean as much as you could from it and the lyrics and so on. And, and, it, and the records would sort of take you on a trip. They weren't, so much individual songs as they sort of start you off at point A, and then the record would end and drop you off at point B, and you just kind of open your eyes, and go, you know, yeah. that yeah. was something, wasn't it? You know? Yeah.
1: you know, you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. You exactly. and you accomplished that. You really did. I mean, you. What the, I'm, the, for.
5: I, I'm not saying that you know <laughs> anything on a level of like a revolver or something, but within our little band, that was the goal to try to make not just a collection of songs, but something that took you on a little journey.
1: Yeah, yeah, you did. And I have to tell you that I I love all the songs. I, I, you... If you go to the Empty Hearts website, listeners, you can get samplings of the song and, and hear them. And some of them we'll talk about in a few minutes were released on 45s. But one of the, what are single offerings? One of the songs that I love, 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 love is The World's Gone Insane. And look, to me, it's right up there with Revolution. And man, <laughs> Your lead guitar, it is blistering hot. And uh, wow. it is, I, I loved it. Tell us a little bit about the experience of recording that song.
5: Well, you know, it, it was just sort of, uh, it was just, you know, I had this lick and, and, and the fellas helped me finish it into a song. But the funny thing is about, like, some of these songs is how long before coronavirus hit and how many of the songs... Yes turned out to be sort of, like, lyrically relevant, you know. So we put out this song, The World's Gone Crazy, you know, and The World Was Going Crazy, and then and then Halloween rolled around, and we had uh, uh, Jonathan Harker's journal, you know, yeah. on orange, orange and black vinyl. And when I heard you mention before you brought me on, you were wondering about um, the different uh, ways the record was ava- is available, and it, it's it's available on CD and it's available on heavy gram vinyl, like 180 gram vinyl for the uh, audio files. That's and awesome. uh, also, you know, you can hear it on Spotify and so forth.
1: Yeah, you know. it it's great. Yeah, tell them a little bit more about Jonathan Harker's Journal because that was a really interesting song too.
5: That was just like a, just a weird little riff. You know, the, all of us guys in the band are real fans of the classic universal horror movies. And that's the truth of it. Um, like like Andy has a store called Andy Babuk's Fab Gear in, in Rochester, oddly enough, yep. and uh, where he sells Rickenbackers and Hoffners and Gretsch guitars. and It's just the coolest music store you ever saw. And he has a widescreen TV in the store. that is always showing Shindig, hullabaloo's and Beatle movies and James Bond movies. And then every Halloween, he shows all the monster movies, the universal monster movies like Frankenstein and Dracula.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: And he's just really into that. So he had this, this lyrical idea, and we just went for it. It just seemed like a fun thing. You know, it, it's not like a dark, scary thing. It's like a universal monster scary thing like the Wolfman or Dracula. You know?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's really it's good. Fun. Who sings vocal on that? Who does the, the lead vocal? Uh, that's Wally. Really good. Yeah. Really, 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 John Lennon esque.
5: And then you know, there's one that I wrote pretty much entirely by myself, and I was going to do the lead vocal on it, and because of logistics and and what was going on at that time, I couldn't get to where uh, they were recording at, at Stadium Studio. But I wrote one called uh, "Death by Insomnia," <laughs> and and that and that one's kind of like coming from like if you listen to it. It's kind of like a like a cold turkey plastic yeah. ono, really stark uh you know close to the bone just <laughs> kind of you know plastic ono band kind of cold turkey thing so that yeah. was really a lot of fun really aggressive I probably sing it live wow and, you know, there's just all kinds of stuff you know sort of like acousticy stuff and and there was a lot of Beatle-y stuff there's There's a lot of uh, not a lot. There's a few songs that have have a real birds flavor with uh, twelve string guitar and and that sort of jangly sound, folk rocky sound, and a lot of a lot of variety like we were you know hoping for. We just got to sort of stretch out a little bit more than the first record because we were more aware of each other's abilities.
1: Yeah, it's, it is so good. And for people that don't recognize the name Andy Babook, it's the one that did Beatles Gear, that excellent book that people depend upon for what that's guitar, what what you know, bass, what whether John's using uh, George's famous Hooten Andy, the borrowed George's guitar if he's on this Rickenbacker or whatever, Andy has all the answers so that that night. Right be a link you know for people to well okay so now I'm gonna
5: it's kind of become the bible as far as Beatles gear and so can you imagine having me and him in the same band <laughs> how, like how we get to geek out because <laughs> well, you... not, only, not only does the guy have a music store with all the coolest new gear but where we record at his studio he's got every sitars, melotrons mm-hmm. Dulcimers, yeah, harpsichords, Warlitzer pianos, Hammond organs, every toy that w- that you could imagine—Indian drums, African drums.
1: Wow! And wow!
5: So it's just insane. You know, we just had a lot, have a lot of colors to play with.
1: Yeah, well, it it shows in the CD. It really does. Now, this is where Lena is going to disown me. But I have to say, because she loves, loves, loves the cars. And and I love the cars. But I am (laughs) a bigger fan of the Empty Hearts. I mean, you guys totally brought it on on this second album and i highly recommend it to everybody listening today get a copy of the empty hearts so tell people elliot where they can do that and how they can follow you on social media
6: well you
5: you you can go to the emptyhearts.com we have a, an official facebook page you can find the record on amazon or wherever Whoever fine music is sold, uh, the iTunes store, you can listen to it if you subscribe to Spotify. You can go on our site and order limited edition vinyl and the singles. Uh, Chris Ringo" one was issued as a single. And then what we're thinking about doing, and I think it's a real good idea, because we were sort of stopped in our tracks with the record being released and then couldn't tour, we kind of feel like we didn't reach nearly as many people as we'd like to. So... When venues open up again and people can again co-mingle, I think what we may do is put the whole thing out as a deluxe thing with everything on it and, you know, like as a re-release, like kind of come bring it back out and tour and, uh, you know, make people aware of it. But uh, well,
1: what, what, yeah. else, what can
5: you do, you know, what can you do?
1: Well, you've done so much. I mean, at a time where a lot of people just threw their hands up and gave up, you guys push through to give us a great new album, and it's fantastic. When you start touring, don't forget about Bozier City's huge CenturyLink Auditorium right here in the Twin Cities of Shreveport, Bozier. Paul McCartney played there about two years ago, and I will host you all at a big Louisiana jambalaya and bananas foster oh dinner. God. So
5: you don't you don't have to ask me twice. <laughs> I, I, I know Bozier City. I'm sure I played there either at a fair or or, or a casino or something with uh, Credence Revisited. I'm, I'm sure I played around there. Mm, yeah,
1: yeah. There. Well, the CenturyLink is huge, and we would we would really love to have you here. Elliot, thank you for taking time to join us, because we need to hear from people who are positive and happy and did great things in 2020. And, Lena and I, really thank you for being one of those truly bright spots in the world, no matter what. We wish everybody in the Empty Hearts a great 2021, and just continue to do what you've always done, man. Shine on.
5: Well, thank you. God bless, and right back at you, and to all the wonderful Beetle people that listen to you. We love you, and uh, we're all part of the same community. And, and it, it, it's just great to talk to you guys always.
1: Thank you. Let,
5: let's hope for a better, all right. a better year. Yeah, absolutely.
0: We love you, Elliot, and we love your band. So we we are on board for you guys. Love you right back. Thanks so much.
5: Okay, bye, bye, ladies. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, 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 bye.
0: Now another person who really hung in there in 2020 is a close friend of ours who was kind enough to come on our show in March of 2020 to tell us about what life was like in New York City during the COVID explosion. Mm -hmm. He gave us the true story of what was going on and not going on in the Big Apple, but even then found things to look forward to and to celebrate. For several years, he has been one of the co-hosts of the Fab Forum with Dennis Elsis and Bill Flanagan on SiriusXM. But Jude and I got to know him long before that, through his many years of excellent work as a host and MC for Mark and Carol Lapito's Best for Beatles fans in New York and Chicago. However, in December 2020, he took the helm of his very own unique Beatles music-based program on SiriusXM Channel 18, the Beatles channel, and here to tell us all about that really big show is our Beatles buddy Mr. Tom Frangione. Hi Tom welcome back to she said she said.
7: Hey Tom. Hello ladies happy new year.
1: And to you as well glad you made it home safely and
7: hey it's so great to
0: hear your voice again we just have been talking about having you on here. Um all week we've been squealing so we're just excited to have you here so as they say in liverpool what's the griff um in in other words what's the scoop on your new radio show that you're hosting on sirius xm
7: well there's a lot uh, as we turn the page into 2021 a lot of new programs that are going to happen over at the beatles channel that's sirius xm Mm. 18 there's your plug for the night um, but we started this one actually mid-December, and as many of your listeners on tonight's show, I, who I know from the Fest, and certainly all your, your panel of esteemed guests, uh, all you guys out there pretty much know I love collecting Beatles music, almost, almost mm-hmm. as, much as I do listening to it, and digging into you know, backstories and finding rarities and you know, really piecing the, the whole story together. So it was really an honor to be asked to audition uh, a couple months ago to host a weekly show that they developed now that they feel that the, you know, the channel has really hit a good groove and has cultivated a following and has cultivated Mm -hmm. listeners um, and really matured to a point where we can do some things that are a little bit deeper. This Mm -hmm. weekly show is focused solely on rarities in the band and solo Beatle canons. Uh, it's a show called Way Beyond Compare, it's kind of a cool thing, mm-hmm. and each week we look at the songs, as we say, that you don't hear much on the radio or find laying around the house every day, and, you know, someone asked me, you know, is there any such thing anymore with a full-time Beatles channel and all the podcasts, mm-hmm. all the Internet radio and all the streaming, is there any such thing as a rare Beatles song? Well, we, we think there is, and certainly when you open it up to the solo catalogs, there's plenty. So what do we consider a rarity? Um, it's pretty much anything not in that big black stereo box of all the EMI masters. So from the Beatles, it can be BBC stuff. It can be live tracks. It can be demos and outtakes. And certainly the past few years between Sgt. Pepper, The White Album, and Abbey Road, we got three box sets full of that stuff. It can be things in the solo careers that they gave to tribute albums and soundtracks and even, you know, when they do a duet or an outside project with another artist. So we try and keep it balanced between, call it alternate versions of familiar songs so that the person who's just driving around in the car and happens to flip on the Beatles channel doesn't say, boy, they're really in the weeds here and I better get out of there. Um, We try and mix it up with, let's say an alternate version of pick a well-known Beatles song across the universe, which happened to be the first song we played on the channel. We played the uh, John's demo from the white album box, which is just a stunning outtake. Um, And it seemed to hook people in pretty quickly. So we, we mix it up between version alternate versions or rare versions of familiar songs. And then some real, you know, real records that, that people may not have in their collections um, things that aren't in rotation on the Beatles channel. And even, you know, one of my gauges for success, here we are in, in week three, is when I, you know, prepare all the voice tracks because we're still in COVID mode here.
2: And mm-hmm. I send my
7: yeah. producer the list of songs to play and he writes back and says, yeah, that's great. We don't have that in the Beatles channel library. And I go,
2: <laughs> 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 <laughs>
7: That means it's never been played on the channel. Yes. Um, wow. <laughs> You know, it, it adds a little excitement for me, too, to know that, uh, you know, we get into weeds, but we get right out.
0: That's, that's fantastic. That is just so so special. And, and you, you're the only guy in the whole world that can host this show.
7: Well, they, you know, thank you for saying that. And, you know, uh, admittedly, a lot of it has been friendly fire, the, uh, the feedback that we've gotten so far. But, hey, there are some people listening to this right now, no name, pal. <laughs> Um, who can be, you know, I I enjoy, uh, you know, I'm talking, of Mm -hmm. course, about my longtime partner at the the Fest for Beatles fans, Al Sussman, um, who gives me a very honest critique every week for other shows, like we do the Fab Forum, which we've been doing now for close to four years. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Al will tell me, hey, last night was some of the best radio you guys have ever done. Or he'll say, eh, you know, yeah, it was okay, you know. It was all right, but you know what? Uh, when you're gonna get me, you know, get me into something like blah blah blah. Um, so you know, the, the, the honesty I always appreciate, but knock wood, the feedback thus far has really been exceptional, um, and I think it it goes back to what I said before. The channel was confident that we can go a little bit left of center, keep it interesting. Keep it good. I mean, we don't play it just because it's rare. It should still be appealing uh, because, remember, as much of a backstory as I might tell um, about a particular recording, there are going to be people who aren't making this appointment radio. It just happens to be on in the car. People are coming back from lunch or they're on their way to work. And, you know, if they can take one punchline away from it, like, hey, I was listening to the Beatles channel on the way to the office, and I didn't know there was an acoustic version of this song. And, and you know, have right. uh, a little water cooler chat. If somebody takes something like that away, great. Some of the more, yeah. the more uh, rabid fans, some of the folks who, you know, we see at the fest when we get a chance to be together in real life, people who have, you know, said, boy, this is appointment radio for me, you know, they've commented, wow, I loved that story about this, particular song, and to kind of give people an idea of what what it really is, I mean, this week is episode three, and just to give you kind of an idea of what you can find in there, uh, it's only a half-hour show, so generally we only get about seven or eight songs in there, plus the backstories, but we have everything from Ringo on a Roger Miller tribute record doing a Roger Mm -hmm. Miller track called Hey, Would You Hold It Down?, to a song that was rejected by George's record company, Flying Hour, which he put out later as a bonus track, um, a live version of Imagine on acoustic guitar from the Apollo. Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. The Beatles doing an electric guitar version of And I Love Her. And oh. the one that seems to have gotten everybody all all razzed this week was John Lennon with Yoko Ono uh, joining Frank Zappa and the Mothers at the Fillmore East in 1971. Now, what makes that interesting, as I said on the show, is, well, you know, that's already on a John album. It's on that live uh, bonus disc that came with the Sometime in New York City album. So that really doesn't qualify as rarities. But Zappa himself put that out years later when the rights reverted to him and he could put it out on his album. And we heard it in a completely different mix. It's much longer. It has a second guitar solo passage, which wasn't on John's Apple album. So it's really a place to find a John and Yoko performance that's outside of the normal Beatles and solo Beatles canon. Wow.
0: That's incredible. That is so incredible. Well, you have you have a perfect combination of, of things in the show that will attract people that are just kind of fair weather Beatle fans and then the rabid, like you said, the rabid uh, fest for Beatles fans people that that know everything about um all the beatles so this is perfect so tell us what times um you will be on the channel this show will be on because i know that it's rebroad broadcast several times throughout the week
7: right um the new episode premieres each week on monday at 2 p.m and all the times i'm going to give you are eastern time i know you have listeners uh in all different parts of the country and in fact all over the world um But the new episode premieres Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. It repeats on Tuesday at 11 p.m., so our West Coast folks love that. Um, And then it's back to drive time here at 4 p.m. on Fridays, and then a real nice slot on Sundays at 10 a.m., right around brunch time. And, again, those are all Eastern Time, but it's always available on the SiriusXM app. So just either search Tom Frangione or Way Beyond Compare. And you'll be able to find it and, and hear it uh, at your convenience.
0: Oh, that's incredible! That's that's truly incredible. I knew they had that function, but I've never used it. <laughs> so, yeah. so now, now I can do that. That's terrific. Yeah. So for
7: last week, it wasn't on, um, and people were saying, "But I'm searching and it, I can't even find it." Well, last week, you know, the week between Christmas and New Year's, there was loads mm. of countdowns and holiday programming, so uh, that kind of threw right. the schedule into. Total disarray, and if you went searching, it wasn't there, and people said, oh, my God, they've canceled him after two episodes. What has he done? <laughs> uh, you know, but uh, <laughs> back in the saddle, the new episode premiered yesterday afternoon, so it's up there online on the app uh, if you want. Excellent. So
0: does the app have all of the episodes?
7: No, they generally only carry them for a week or so at a time because okay. like the Fab Forum, um, we have so much content going on. Mm. As I said at the top of the of at, at the top of the call, we have some other new ones coming up. and uh, one of them actually premieres uh, this coming Wednesday, the thirteenth, I guess uh, will will be the first episode of another new show that I will also be uh, involved in with a co-host David Frick, a longtime hmm. editor for Rolling Stone and uh, he's sure. been, uh, been co-host on the Fab forum and we have another show that we're going to be doing. So there's, there's tons and tons of new programming that's coming to the Beatles channel in 2021.
2: Great.
0: That's, that's absolutely terrific. Very, very good. So um, I know that you, you know everything there is to know about the Beatles. And, you know, there's hardly, I mean, I know Bruce Spicer knows a lot too, but um, I kind of think Tom Frangione might know more. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so,
7: so some so, years ago we had a runoff trivia question. I'll let him tell you how that ended.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, do you when uh, you're doing the show? Do you feature any guests on there? Would you feature um, a Bruce Spizer on there?
7: No, this one actually, you know, it was it was a different type of show. So, you know, coming out of the Fab Forum. Uh the stars of that show are our guests, our callers, and yeah, we put ourselves third, the hosts. Uh that's the stars of the show. This this show though, way beyond compare, the star of the show is are the songs. Um, this is what mm-hmm. people are tuning in for. They'll get a backstory and they'll they they might get an oh wow factor like, Oh, I didn't know that was only released as a download and never on a record or you know, only came out in Japan or or something like that, there'll be, there may be a wow factor there, but the wow factor is serving the song. And the songs really are the star of the show. The other uh, program I alluded to, which will begin next week, may have some guests, but you'll have to go to the Sirius XM website to get the full announcement. I'm not allowed to tell you what it is yet. But I'll just tell you, go to the website, and you, you, you may just see another show cropping up next week, beginning on the 13th, which is going to be a ton of fun, uh,
0: oh my gosh! Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> okay. We will be checking that out asap, as soon as we get done recording our show.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: well, so another question for you—it's a biggie. Do you know what the chances are that we will be having a fest for Beatles fans in Chicago in August?
7: Well, you know, I—I I don't know the answer, and you know, obviously, it all rests on how vaccines roll out how quarantine rules go in the state of illinois uh, you know will will they allow it and even if they do allow it is it something that the hotel will be comfortable doing uh, we are scheduled for mid-august as as you know um, we were scheduled for last August too and we all know how that worked out um, right without getting you know too um, opinionated about you know this Horrible, horrible thing that is, has, you know, cast a pall over all of our lives the past year. Um, I heard Bruce sign off and say, "Hey, get vaccinated." I know I'm going this week. I can't wait. I, know I never thought, you I'm a guy that hates needles for any reason, um, <laughs> and I never thought I'd be terribly excited to say, "I can't wait till Saturday when I, you know, when I'm sitting down getting that vaccine." Um, you know, and you know, with, again, without certainly politicizing it or sensationalizing it, there's, you know, a, a faction of people that are saying, I'm going to wait and see first. I, I want to be sure that there's not, you know, um, you know any kind of bad side effects. And they, they might be a bit gun-shy saying this thing got fast-tracked. And, and that's okay. And then there are some people who, you know, would have to be taken kicking and screaming to go get it. So I don't know how... You know, never mind a fest, I don't know how going to a movie theater or a, a restaurant or anything is going to be as the vaccine rolls out. I mean, do you go to the movie theater, hand in your ticket, and have to show your vaccine card? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, don't know I know about as much about as that is, as you guys do. I'm certainly glad that this comes with a vaccine card uh, so people can evidence that they have been vaccinated. It will you know, certainly give me a better feeling knowing the guy sitting behind me in a movie theater, you know, has, has had uh, the vaccine, but we still, you know, we still have a full year of this as it rolls out. Uh, I'm glad to see that there's a third vaccine that's hit the market. Um, But, you know, there's, there's hundreds of millions of people that this has to get to before. Yeah. Yeah. um, get that immunity. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, more, as much as you guys are, I swear, um, just to have fests again and concerts again and ball games again and going to movies again. Um it it really, you know, has been a, a tough year. Um, you know, but it sure put a lot of things in perspective like, you know, just be glad you're around to, to comment on it. Um, you know, we've we've lost a lot right. of Americans, we've lost a lot of people around the world. It is an yeah. horrible, horrible thing. Ab- um, it is
1: absolutely. It's terrible. It is terrible. But we're so glad that you brought some light into 2020 and that you persevered and you have two great new shows coming out so you know good on you man for surviving and Tom thank you thank you thank you for being on the show thank you for loving the Beatles and thank you for the work you're doing
7: and right back at you guys stay well stay safe stay fab and I swear to God I can't wait To see you guys and and give you a big group hug. I owe you two years' worth at this point. Oh, (laughs) right.
0: We will take you up on that. So thank you so much and be safe and stay healthy, Tom.
1: Happy 2021. Bet. Take care. Well, Lena, we have a caller on the line from the great. State of Louisiana, or as some people say <laughs> Louisiana. <laughs> nobody uh-huh. in nobody in Louisiana says that. Uh, and <laughs> I think that it just might be the guy that I call the Beatles' FNPdia, the guru of Beatles music and the author of thirteen books. And that may even hmm. be wrong. He, that may it may be up to fourteen now, um, including his premier book which has won all sorts of awards, The Beatles Are Coming, one that I'm using constantly in my work on nineteen sixty five, Beatles for Sale on Parlophone Music, because the Beatles, you know, initially recorded everything on Parlophone, such a good book. A two-volume work, The Beatles on Capitol Records, because simultaneously they're releasing everything on Capitol in a completely different and sometimes unrecognizable format. A few years ago, he put out The Beatles' Get Back to Abbey Road, many, many, many more exhaustive, in-depth works. And he is such a highly regarded Beatles music scholar that he was asked to pin the questions for the Beatles trivia game. And that game is hard because this guy knows his stuff. I mean, knows his stuff. And additionally, he is the much sought-after speaker, At the Fest for Beatles fans, we'll have to ask him how many fests he's been a part of. Because I know that he was also part of the Los Angeles Fest for Beatles fans back in the day when they still had that and the Las Vegas Fest for Beatles fans. So he's been part of that wonderful group for a long, long time. But he also is a fixture every year at Abbey Road on the River. He was our featured speaker, our featured author at Beatles at the Ridge and returned another year to Beatles at the Ridge in Walnut Ridge, Arkansas. And he was at the Grammy Museum Beatles Symposium with you and I as well a few years ago. But even more important to Lena and to me, he is our friend, whom we are always so happy to see when our paths cross down in New Orleans. So we are going to welcome to the show not only a respected author, but our dear friend, Mr. Bruce Pfizer. Hey, Bruce, happy 2021.
8: Thank you so much. I'm so glad to uh, be with you and Lena. It's uh, always a lot of fun to, uh, doing the show with you guys. And just I wish we had time to catch up with each other, but we'll have to do that another time offline.
1: I know we just, we love having you on the show. And I, we, you know, we were saying, well, we hope that this show runs smoothly. And, and I said, well, I tell you one person you can depend on. He will call in at the exact moment. He will speak exactly <laughs> the number of minutes. You are so, so good. We always love having you on. So we're just going to jump right into it because not even living in one of the U S cities that was hardest hit by COVID could keep a good man down. I mean, you kept working with your distance precaution. You tell me how you came into the garage, took the elevator up by yourself, and continued to plug away on your latest Beatles album series release. And then about midway through 2020, you gave us what I feel is one of your best works, The Beatles' Finally Let It Be, which is an in-depth study of the Beatles' final album. Bruce, tell us a little about the book. Well, you know, it was, it
8: was kind of a fun thing to do. The title is a bit of an ironic pun, because I remember as a kid, I heard about these Get Back sessions. Then I actually heard the Get Back bootleg over 69 Christmas season on the radio and even taped it on a little cassette player. So I was familiar with these songs. And then I, around that time, I started getting Rolling Stone magazine at the record store and then subscribed to it. And it seemed like almost every issue, the Beatles Get Project, you know, was going to get delayed, you know. It was coming out in the summer. Then, oh, no, it's coming out at the end of the summer. Then it was coming out in November. Then it was coming out in December. Then it was coming out early in the year. And it was, you know, when is it finally going to come out? And I even remembered reading in Rolling Stone where they said that, uh, you know, it would be coming out uh, sometime in in April or May. And then it said Apple, however, did not say April or May of which year. And that pretty much summed it up. So yes. it was like it's finally out when it came out. And then, what's, what's the number one question Beatle fans were always asking Apple the past decade? When are you guys finally going to release, you know, Let It Be on film? And so I figured the perfect title for the book would be The Beatles Finally Let It Be. And of course, ironically, uh, it was finally going to come out in August, and then COVID 19 hit. And so it didn't come out in August, but I decided to put the book out anyway because I figured people could use something, uh, you know, at that time to distract us from it. So, but but the book is part of what I call the album series, and all of these books have an opening section on how the record was perceived in America, because that's where I grew up, and so it talked about that and goes through, uh, you know, how uh, the various songs and the albums that, you know, were from those sessions were reviewed. Uh, you know, how we were exposed to it, in my case, TV Guide. I read in TV Guide and, you know, 1969 the Beatles were doing this television special and they had a picture of the Beatles on the roof. And then shortly after that, the Beatles were on the Glen Camel Good Time Hour and there was a film clip of them doing Get Back. So the TV Guide picture became alive. And then there was another song, Don't Let Me Down, and a Beatles single with those two songs came out, and all of a sudden, you know, Ballad of John and Yoko comes out, and then We're Waiting for Get Back, Abbey Road comes out. I mean, it was just crazy. And the next section in the book goes through what was going on in the U.K. Bear in mind, in the U.K., they had four music magazines that you could get every week. And hmm. so they were hearing about this from, you know, constantly, whereas in the U.S., Rolling Stone was just beginning to, to get out there. And then our good buddy, you know, my friend and your friends, uh, you know, Pierce Hemingston did a chapter on it in Canada. And and it was fun because Pierce tells his wonderful story of going to see the movie and um, seeing it as part of a double feature with the James Bond film. <laughs> you know, imagine <laughs> that. <laughs> and uh, then after that, our good buddy, I mean, this is like a who's who of all our good friends, Al Sussman, uh does a piece on what was going on in the world in 1969. It was a pretty crazy year, as you may uh, remember. And uh, our good buddy, uh, you know, and actually it was the world 1970, I'm sorry. His chapter is called 1970, the one after 1969. (laughs) And our good buddy Frank Daniels talks about what was going on in song and film during that time. So that, you know... Yeah, and that's just about a little over a third of the book. And then we have one of my favorite sections in the book called Fan Recollections, where everyday people just write in about uh, you know how their memories of seeing the Let It Be film, or you know hearing the album, or hearing the bootlegs, or whatever. And we were able to do something a little special for this one because you know when you think of Let It Be and Get Back. You, you think of that scene up on the roof. And so I was able in the fan recollection section to start it off with three people who were up on the roof, Ken Mansfield, who mm-hmm. was the former U S manager of Apple, Kevin Harrington, who's the guy with the red hair you see in the film, holding up the lyrics to dig a pony for John. Cause John couldn't remember the words. <laughs> and then our other good friend, Chris O'Dell, who of course was immortalized in George's song, Miss O'Dell. Mm-hmm. And, um, we got to hear their stories, and after that, it, it's, it's wonderful the way it works because she ends her piece. I'll read it right here. Just before the police came onto the roof and ended the concert, I stood up and peeked over the edge of the roof at the crowd below. The look of wonder on their faces was something to behold. Well, the next piece is from Leslie Healy, who was in the crowd that day on that street. She was Aww. walking her dog to go through Hyde Park and drop by Apple just for the hell of it, and all of a sudden finds out there's this, you know, rooftop concert about to start. So um, kind of fun on that. And even have a newspaper clipping from Thursday, January 30th, 1969, the late edition of the Evening Standard. And the headline is, this is so very British, Police Stop Beatles Making a Den. So, you know, fun stuff there. And then, you know, You know, some of the usual suspects you'd expect to see, like, you know, something from Mark Lapidos and, uh, you know, and something from, uh, there's, oh, what's her name here? Uh, Jude, what's it, (laughs) Southerlander Kiesler? Well, that's you, that's you, Jude! You know, so good stuff for that. And Lizzie Bravo talking about her opportunity to sing the backing vocals on (laughs) Across the Universe and even a guy from Russia who talked about having a you know one of those tapes of it remember those uh you know VHS tapes of the uh the film and that was his prized possession and he still has the VHS tape and uh, he was in what was it, at the end of the time the USSR so wow. you know just really really fun stuff um and then finally uh the uh final section in the book goes through the you know how it was recorded and goes through uh the songs on the album, the songs on the, the Get Back album and all. And there is an overview because I think that, uh, you know, it's truly a long and winding road from where you get to Paul has this idea. Um, you know, after we do the Hey Jude video, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they did that. That's really the genesis of the whole thing. They do Hey Jude and Revolution videos at Twickingham in front of a crowd and Paul's like, oh, you know, I really miss going live, so we need to go live. And that's where the, the bug gets in. The original idea was, we'll do songs from the, our new album, which would be the White Album, and some oldies. Then it was, well, why don't we learn some new songs, and we can be film rehearsing the songs, and we'll do this concert at the Roundhouse. And then that falls through, because George and I want to do a concert. And they end up doing something on the roof. Uh, so that, that's kind of a thing. And the overview of what were the different albums, where there were two different get back albums that were put together by glenn johns that were never released and then we have of course the album itself the let it be album but it doesn't end there because in anthology we got about a dozen or so tracks from those sessions so you could do it yourself and put together your own new let it be get back album and then of course we had let it be naked right so i mean it's you know there's just so many different versions of it and you know and i don't I don't think any one version is completely satisfactory in in my view, and I think it's kinda you know I could pick and choose and program my favorites and and I've done that and put them on a on a c d and play it sometimes but uh it's, now, it's it's fascinating stuff. It really is.
1: Yeah, you and you cover all the aspects of it and and all of the different iterations. Now I have to ask you because like me, you've really seen the benefit of offering your books on ebook. I mean, that's where the world is heading. So, are you yes. doing that this time? And are you including your bookmark for the ebook this time?
8: Well, <laughs> we we have multiple editions. We have our, our standard hardcover edition. The book's nine by nine, and this book's about. Two hundred and some odd pages, and you know, and that's available on the website, which is very simple. It's just beetle, you know, B E A T L E dot net, no s. And you know, we have that standard edition, and then we have what we call the collector's edition. And the collector's edition costs a bit more money, but we want to give you good value for your money. So if you get the it collector's like edition, you know, you get a case, and you do get a bookmark, and you also get two, uh, you know, posters plus. Um, you also get a free download of the digital book. Now, the digital download can be bought separately. If you buy the $30 hardcover book, you get a discount on the digital download. So, you know, we we make it available many, many different ways. And also, next August, hopefully, the Get Back film will come out. Hopefully, there will be some new audio product. And I'm going to do an eight-page, nine-by-nine supplement that you can either, anybody can go on to beetle.net and download it for free and print it out on your printer, or you can buy a nice, you know, paper, colorful, full color one to stick with your book, or if you get the collector's edition, you get that mailed to you for free. That's so we have um, all sorts of ways. So, so that's kind of the idea behind it. And, uh, you know, sometime this year I will be sending out things to people. Uh, who get my email thing, and you can sign up for that, Uh, looking for fan recollections for other Beatle albums, because I want to start putting these together while, quite frankly, we're all still alive. Our lines are still sharp.
1: Don't say that. (laughs) Don't say that.
8: Well, so
1: say the website for them one more time, Bruce.
8: Right. It's just Beatle.net.
1: Beatle.net. Well, Lena and I cannot wait to see you in living color, as we used to say in the 60s with that peacock. Amen. And we will look forward to hopefully a Chicago Fest coming up this year. Our fingers are crossed. But until then, huge congratulations to you. And thank you for keeping the books coming. I mean, everybody loves the Bruce Spicer books. And we love this album series. So keep them coming. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
8: All right. I certainly will. And you all stay safe. And when you're able to, get vaccinated.
1: Yes, we will. Don't worry. Absolutely.
8: All right. Absolutely.
1: Thank you. Thank
0: you so much, Bruce. We can't wait okay. to see you in the Big Easy.
8: Likewise. Take have care. a wonderful year, everybody. You too. you too. You
0: too. Our next guest is no stranger to hard work either. Several years ago, he penned one of my favorite books of all time, 1965, The Most Revolutionary Year in Music. It was an incredible work that covers every single aspect of um mid-60s sound from Muscle Shoals influence to the two Memphis schools of music to the Beatles and the California Jingle Jangle melodies. It was a really great book that kept me completely riveted. I I truly enjoyed it. And now he has a brand new book that zeroes in on my number one favorite music of all time, 70s Music, entitled Mm -hmm. 1973 Rock at the Crossroads. This comprehensive volume on the 70s sound was a lifesaver for me in 2020. I found myself sneaking away and reading it and getting away from the reality of today to enjoy the music of 1973. And it was also the events in society in 1973. But I'm thrilled to be able to say thank you to our special guest today, Mr. Andrew Grant Jackson. Andrew, welcome to She Said, She Said, and thanks so much for your excellent book and for being on our show.
6: Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me, and it's always been so much fun selling books with you guys at the Fest for Beatles fans. Aw,
1: right. well, we're glad to have you, Andrew. Good, good to talk to you. I'm, Lena's the big 70s guru, so we're going to let her proceed with the interview, but I want to say thank you, too. I absolutely adore your work.
6: Oh, thank you. You, too. I really appreciate it.
1: Both of us
0: have we we quote things from the 1965 all the time. Jews used it a lot, and and it was just amazing how much data is in there about um, 1965. But you you replicated the entire process for your 1973 book, and. Jude is not a '70s girl," she said. That,
2: <laughs>
0: and um, I, she she loves every era of music except the '70s. I just don't understand it. But um, the 80s, I am definitely you like
1: the 80s, but not the, love the '80s, love the '90s, love two thousand. <laughs> not the '70s. Well, it's America,
2: It's who do
0: Well, I you know I was I was born in '66. And whenever I was a uh, baby and all until I in college, I listened to the radio all night long. My parents would put that in the crib to keep me quiet. And so <laughs> like those, the songs of the 70s were like ingrained in my brain. And so whenever I hear them, um, it's just nostalgic and it's comforting to hear those songs. And, and I'm sure that there's probably a, a name for that kind of a of a situation in psychology, but i um right. I just love the the rich and varied music in nineteen seventy three and um, you capture so much of that in in your book, but since our time is so limited, let's get right down to it. Andrew, your book sheds light on the changes in society in the seventies and you wrote if the cultural reformation of 1965 to 1972 was a bomb, 1973 was the aftermath. So tell us what you mean by that.
6: Well, like, uh, if the, um, the reformation was, you know, women's liberation, civil rights, sexual revolution, uh, proliferation of drugs and divorce, and people wanting more freedom with those things. And then by, uh, 73, for white U.S. males, the struggle was ending, ending in a sense because the war with Vietnam ended in January 73. And then uh, long hair was uh, more accepted now in the Midwest, at least, in the coasts. But uh, I thought 73 was interesting because now there were these other groups that were embracing rock, but they still had these barriers to break. You know? and, uh, For instance, in the rural areas, you know, uh, long hair and marijuana was still grounds for a beating. But um, the, out country, the outlaw country artists, you know, Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson, Waylon Jennings, they kind of helped mm-hmm. to make the counterculture more acceptable there gradually as the 70s went by. And they started releasing their first outlaw country albums in 73. And, and there was like a new group of uh, female rockers, like Susie Quattro and these bands, mm-hmm. Fanny and Bertha that were coming out uh, and Fanny, believe it or not, was they were the third all-female band to get signed to a record label, and they were the first one to release an album, which is kind of amazing, thinking that rock had been going for all this time, but here's the first band to release, an all-female band releasing an album. And it kind of paralleled, in a a sense, like all the stuff going on with like Billie Jean King winning, and,
1: you know, uh, Uh
6: Bill versus Wade going on, and all the great, uh, Women's Liberation anthems, you know, I Am Woman, and, you know, even, uh, you know, You're So Vain, you know, is it Carly yeah. Simon and Joni Mitchell, they're putting out these uh, songs with these groundbreaking lyrics, you know, that were really frank about their affairs with, you know, James Taylor and Cat Stevens and, you know, Jackson Brown and just probably for me, A Court and Spark by uh, Joni Mitchell, I think, is one of the it was actually came out um, a day or two after in nineteen seventy four, but she recorded it all through seventy three. And um, you know, then you also had uh, the gay liberation movement being reflected by David Bowie producing Lou Reed's uh, "Walk on the Wild Side" about like the Andy Warhol drag queens, and you know, Elton John and Freddie Mercury are you know performing these outrageous costumes, and uh, and they the last thing was like the counterculture was seeping deeper into the mainstream, you know, with that Carlos Castaneda on the cover and then George Harrison singing about Ram Dass' Be Here Now. But all the uh, crazy militants and cults and satanic rockers also started bringing about this backlash of cultural conservatism, which would kind of eventually peak, you know, with Reagan, you know, in the next decade. But but the one thing that both sides could agree on was fifties uh, rock and roll, and so there was this resurgence that year, resurgence that year of like American graffiti was a huge hit, and Happy day started at the end of the year, and so uh,
2: mm-hmm.
6: it, was, um, it was just kind of interesting how like uh, the bombing and where, as it were, was creating still creating all these aftershocks. So I really enjoyed wow. exploring that.
0: That's that's really interesting, I, and I do kind of remember that resurgent of the, the Bobby Sox and, um, you know, that sort of thing. Um, right. So you you also stated that 1973 was the year when the, the 60s legends released their climactic statements while new giants and underground revolutions arrived to save music from decline. So you mentioned a little bit about um, probably what the underground revolutions were, but Give us an example of a few of the 60s legends who made their climatic statements that year.
6: Well, in a, in a way, it was the peak of the Beatles' solo careers. Like, uh, <clears throat> at the same time, uh, like, they all had these massive hits that year, and it was kind of the last time that they, that every Beatle was having a big hit the same year. You know, you had, um, Paul had two number one albums, um, uh, Red Rose Speedway and band on the run that, that would be number one next year, but it came out seventy three and living yeah. in the material world by George was number one with give me love peace on earth and mm-hmm. um, John Lennon was kind of looking back on all his sixties uh explorations with mind games and and then Ringo kind of summed it up with his song that he wrote with George you know photograph and uh, yeah. the stones you know they um it was really a unique period for them. It was, uh, they had these really lush ballads with these epic guitar solos by Mick Taylor when they with majestic strings going on, and they also had all these other songs with these funky wah-wah pedals, which was a sound that they hadn't really, didn't really have before or after that. And, uh, Pink Floyd had, you know, fourth best-selling album of all time, Dark Side of the Moon, inspired by their old frontman, Sid Barrett, who... Gone Nuts After Taking Too Much LSD, <laughs> Quadrophenia, you know, the Who were Looking Back in the Mod Movement from the mid-60s, mm-hmm. you know, Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye, Dylan, Knocking on Heaven's Door, Zeppelin, House of the Holy, James Brown. Elvis had his last number one album. It was just a, it wow. was like a, a banner year for all of
2: them.
0: So did your interest in all of those events that were taking place in 1973 draw you to write your book about 1973 instead of like just writing about the 70s
6: well it came about actually because um you know I wrote the 65 book um uh and I that was my passion that's still like my favorite era of all time but I'm I was born in 69 so the 70s was kind of the one that where you're talking about um, as a child, you know, that that's what seeped into my brain, you know, from, from my parents' point. Yeah. And, and the publishers wanted to do another book. And um, they, uh, they were kind of going between 72 and 73. And uh, they just – they actually decided because of, uh, I think, Dark Side of the Moon and, you know, Elton John, Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road, you know, I, I think 73 had a little bit more hits, you know, altogether, or great albums, but, you know, they're all, yeah, I think, pretty much every year you could probably do a great book on, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But right. Definitely. Well, I know book. that uh, we could probably talk all day about the 70s. I, 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 <laughs> I'm hoping to, to get a 70s cookbook out there um, oh, one cool. of these years, but... Um, but I really enjoyed reading um, the 1973 book and the different obscure tidbits that you had in the throughout the book. Like for instance, you mentioned that Bowie's song uh, "Lady Grinning Soul" was a favorite song of U2's Bono. Now I I don't know that song, and I would have never list you know picked it out and listened to it if you hadn't said that was one of Bono's favorite
2: songs.
0: <laughs> so, um but and it, and it is a good song. I I really liked it. I don't know that I ever heard it before, but it's those kind of little delicacies that you weave into the timeline of the year and make it make the book so interesting. Is there a couple other lesser known events that took place in nineteen seventy three that you could could tease the listeners with?
6: You know I thought um one Another thing that was amazing about that year was they had these, um, so many new artists appeared that year, including um, Springsteen. Uh, they had their de- debut albums that year, Springsteen, Billy Joel, and Aerosmith and the New York Dolls. And, and the, mm-hmm. the funniest thing was um, when Aerosmith, Aerosmith and Bruce Springsteen's albums both came out, actually a year, you know, today, January, as we're recording, you know, the beginning of January in um uh, Seventy three, but um, Aerosmith's label totally ignored them for Bruce Springsteen. They thought Bruce Springsteen wow. was going to be the the big hit, and um, but then Bruce released two albums that year, and by by his second album, the first one didn't do well. So then they're totally ignoring him for the new guy, <laughs> Billy Joel, yeah. oh. coming out. <laughs> but uh, with both Billy Joel's first album. Or not, it wasn't his first album, actually. Oh was it? That uh, with him. I'm not sure. But it was Piano Man. No, that wasn't his first album. But uh, that that was a great. Uh, you know, that's a <laughs> was a great album. And Bruce Springsteen's first two albums were fantastic. And uh, and it, the other funny thing was Aerosmith's manager totally didn't like them, or didn't think they were going to do that good. And they thought their other band, the New York Dolls, was going to be the big money maker for them.
2: But the huh. New York Dolls totally
6: imploded, and, and Aerosmith. Right. I don't know if they're still going today, or you know, technically or not, but they've outlasted everybody. It seems like pretty much.
0: Right. <laughs> wow, that is so that is so crazy. Um, but listeners, that's just scratching the surface. Uh, there's so much going in 1973 music at the crossroads by Andrew Grant Jackson, and. I mean, each of the Beatles emerging as stars in their own right, and disco was starting to come into its own, and soft rock was making a scene, and heavy metal, you name it. Um, Andrew's book, you get to follow the history of each movement of it, as it builds and morphs under the influence of other sounds. It's fascinating um, fascinating look at music history. So I have to ask you, Andrew, if you could tell us of all the schools of sound that you've discussed in the book that year, what what would be your, your personal favorite?
6: Well, I mean, I, always the Beatles and the Stones and those classics were my favorites, but they were for so long that it was more interesting to do, really discover. Like, I got really into um, the punk stuff, which it's funny as the years go by, what seemed so hard... An abrasive, when you know, 30 years ago, is now pretty mild. You know, compared to even Black Sabbath, who, when you know, in the 80s, I was like, ah, I'm not into Black Sabbath. Now it's it's not that hard anymore. <laughs> you know, you listen to it. Right. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. the Disco. Yeah. Um, I love the disco and in hip hop, actually, even um, they didn't actually record any songs. But what they consider the birth birthday of hip hop was when this DJ started. Uh, doing his special uh, techniques in his sister's birthday party, Cool Herc in the Bronx. You know, so that was starting you know. mm-hmm. reggae. yeah, the, the harder they come that year, Bob Marley and the Wailers released two albums. It was uh, so much great stuff that year.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's just Jim awesome. Croce,
6: Jim Croce, the Hoople. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, so I I I just love all of the music that that you explain throughout the throughout that year so um if listeners want to get a copy of your far out book where can they go to find it and where are you on social media
6: um on facebook.com slash 1973 book there's um you know a link to where to order the book you know which is like amazon and borders and every you know all those places and then there's also, I've got Spotify playlists on there of like the top 200 songs and a Pandora playlists, podcasts, you know, excerpts. And, uh, and the, I also have the other Facebook pages for the 1965 book, you know, facebook.com 1965 book. Uh, solo Beetle book, that was my book on the Solo Beetles, my facebook.com solo beetle book. And I also had an Elvis book, facebook.com slash where's Elvis book awesome Just videos that's and stuff like that, all
0: those that's terrific well we are very much respect all of your work Andrew and look forward to hopefully getting to cross paths at a at a future fest in uh, 2021 I hope so thank you very mm-hmm. much for joining us on the show today it truly put a smile on our faces to to um, have you here and we wish you the very best in 2021
6: you too. Yeah, it's great to hear both of your voices again. Uh, thank you.
1: Thank you, Andrew. I uh, you've you've convinced me. I need to take another listen. I guess what I don't like is disco. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I don't like disco. But all the all the other things, yes, especially John Lennon's work in the nineteen seventies. I mean, I prefer that to the Beatles. I, I think it was um, I think it was his best stuff. So I you, you got me convinced.
6: <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, just skip the disco chapter
1: and it'll, it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's all you well, got to do. You. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Hope to see you soon. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Take care. Thanks. Take all right. care, Andrew. Bye. Well, Lena, we are almost out of time. In fact, we are out of time. But this has been great therapy. I mean, look, we got to be real here. 2020 was no picnic. And, I mean, it's still no picnic. Things are really tough. But look at all of the good that came out of that year. We have great films that are being made, wonderful music by bands like the Empty Hearts. I mean, I am fully endorsing this Empty Hearts second album. It's great wonderful books that have been written and all of these friends who were with us tonight are our cherished friends in the Beatles world. And even though 2020 was really tough, it definitely had its bright moments and guys for Lena and me, one of the brightest parts of this past year was sharing, she said, she said with each other and sharing it with you.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It was, it was i'm i'm so I'm so happy right now <laughs> with all of the guests that we've talked to today, and I think that everyone is gonna enjoy um, it's it's seems like it might not be such a giant thing, but I think the just the small interactions that we can have with each other now are feel so much more important yeah. um, so our focus in twenty twenty on on our podcast was the Beatles family, and so we were. So happy to and honored to interview many wonderful people who were closest to the Beatles, and our past podcasts included Angie and Ruth McCartney, the Beatles' first bass player Chas Newby, Rogue Best, and there was one more guest who didn't quite make it into our 12-month calendar, but who will be on the program to wind up wind up our glimpse into the Beatles family, and that super wonderful guest is Julia Baird, John Lennon's sister. Julia will be on the program later this month, and we are so overjoyed to kick off the new year with her. So stay tuned to our She Said, She Said Facebook page, and we'll let you know when Julia's show is ready for a listen. It's coming soon. I'll let you know about upcoming podcasts on my newsletter, which you can sign up for at lenasstagg.com.
1: And I will keep you updated on my newsletter, one of which is coming out in just a couple of days, and it is on johnlennonseries.com.
0: So until later in the month, when we sit down for a chat with John's sister, Julia Baird, here's to food for thought, food for the soul, and food for the love of rock and roll.
1: ta and shine on.